I had no idea that you started off uh, coming out of Rolla. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't peg right. you for that. I, I just had figured you for a lifetime superintendent because you're so good at it, <laughs> and you've just been doing well, it. Thanks. You make it look easy, man. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> and um, no, I said you I make think it look it's easy. One of the, and I, I appreciate that. Um, on my jobs, you know, they um, they're they're unpredictable in construction. Right. Um, you have you have to. And you have to constantly manage that. So one of the things that I do as a superintendent is I always ask questions in order to make sure that our team has the right information. A lot of the times when we start building, we have incomplete information or we only have half of the material on site. You know, those things can ultimately lead to rework on your jobs or they cause stop in the workflow. Um, One big thing that's important on our construction sites is to create that flow of work between the trades and between the handoffs. And in order to create that, you have to plan ahead. You know, you have to get everybody together and make sure that everybody understands the flow of the job, involve everybody and get their input, which is why uh, lean processes like the last planner, they really work. They work, it's drastically different than when I was coming up, it was push. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build and waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TVD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at tricanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Frank Kahn, all the way from South Florida. Beautiful South Florida. Where are you in South Florida today, Frank? So right now I'm in Doral, Florida. It's just uh, west of Miami. So basically the Miami metro area. It's a little chilly today. It was in the 60s. Oh, so we dear. Have people wearing, we got people wearing their fur coats and, uh, and mittens and, and everything else. When it drops into the 60s, you, you get that. But uh, I grew up and was ra- born and raised in Texas in a small town, Wichita Falls, and worked the majority of my career in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then I've recently spent the last three years in Florida. But I love Florida. I uh, love, uh, you know, working and uh, 
and living life down here in in the south uh, South Florida. So it's great. But in the small town you grew up in, Texas, is that uh, West Texas, East Texas, the Valley? What do they consider that? Uh, North Texas. So it's Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, some people call it South Oklahoma, but we, we don't call it that. So we're still in Texas. Um, it's right there by the Texas-Oklahoma border. And um, grew up there. I uh, have a lot of good friends there. And uh, went off to uh, college in Missouri, uh, University of Missouri, Rolla. It's an engineering school. Yeah. Played baseball there. And that's where I was introduced to uh, engineering, studied civil engineering there. And uh, just kind of got into construction. I thought I was going to be an engineer. I thought that was going to be my background. Ended up uh, working for a civil engineering firm in Wichita Falls, Texas, as a uh, surveyor. Uh, when my daughter was born and then there was a construction company called uh, Beck mm-hmm. and they were building uh, First Baptist Church and they needed a field engineer need to know how to use survey equipment so I said I can do that not really knowing anything about working for a general contractor um, just took a shot at it and um, and really enjoyed uh, being a field engineer and working for the Beck group and uh, just learned how uh, how buildings come together, and there was some uh, really good superintendents that I worked underneath. Um, you know, kind of showed me the ropes. And as a field engineer, you know, we wore tool belts, we did all the layout, and um, and helped the contractors, you know, properly locate things on the job. And uh, as the equipment advanced, and uh, the robotic layout came into the picture, mm-hmm. and the use of Revit and BIM technology started coming into the picture. Uh, Beck was very, um, you know, Beck adopted that technology pretty quickly. And I got uh, got the opportunity to use um, robotic total station and the Revit models together on uh, one of the first IPD projects in Texas. Oh, wow. uh, it was a true IFOA agreement and uh, the uh, owners really supported Lean and uh, wanted to do the IPD jobs. And so, you know, they hired consultants to help us out and uh, was kind of introduced to it, you know, on that project. And I was very early in my career. Um, I think I was like 20, 25 at that time. No, just a kid. And and so that technology, BIM and the total stations, it, it was relatively new and we didn't really know how to use that to work, you know, to transfer from the computer to the field. But with the way the project worked out, you know, that's a good story because we were, we figured it out on that job. You know, I worked closely with the, the BIM guys and we were able to get the coordinates from the Revit model into the robotic total station. And we just went out there and laid out all of the slab recesses for the um, restrooms. We were also... Uh, using prefabricated restrooms on that job. So basically that one job, we had the opportunity to use new technology, implement lean construction practices, which was mainly the last planner system. Uh, They did things like cluster groups Mm -hmm. uh, with the design team, and it was a true IFOA agreement. So that one job kind of got me started on my lean journey and uh, it was the whole team you know that the team supported it and um, all the way from the the owners all the way down through design team, trade partners, and, and our team as well. So it was a really good exposure to lean and some of these new 
construction techniques that make things easier and better yeah. for us in the industry. So <laughs> there's a plug for you there. I like that, man. You plugged it well, Frank. So, yeah. So now what I think we have to do is that was about 12 years ago, 10 years ago, that, that we were doing this stuff, and it was all new. Well, some of the jobs that I've done since then, uh, we haven't done those kind of kind of things. Whether or not it wasn't planned for up front, the funds wasn't there to fund them or, or whatever. Yeah. It's almost like um, as an industry, we we haven't really taken that technology and, and built upon it, you know. Um, it's not used on every single job site. And I think that's one of the reasons why our industry is slow to adapt uh, to new technologies and uh, new ways of building. So so I think that we need to always make sure whenever we use those new techniques that we take them to the next project. And when we um, use an innovative process or something that we build on that and take that to the next project. So I think uh, that's what I try to do, you know, in my career. And uh, I think that that helps people um, when they learn something new they, they you always build on it. You know, it makes you better in the future. I'm a superintendent for NV2A. Uh, my name is Frank Kahn. And, um, you know, like Felipe said, um, I've written several uh, blog posts and um and and things like that on the lean builder and the lean construction blog this is my first podcast so i'm enjoying it so far good job felipe and uh i've done several presentations with uh, the lean construction institute i'm a member of the south florida uh, lci uh, group as well as the central florida group also ran the dallas fort worth uh lean community of practice for LCI for about three years before moving to Florida. Lots of experience as a superintendent um, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and now in Florida, and then about 12 years of um, experience implementing lean in various different ways on, on different projects. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Welcome, man. It's, you're doing a great job, too. I thought you were a podcast pro. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did just get off to, we, we just got straight to business, which is uh, what, what superintendents like to do. You know, we like to get, get straight to the, get straight to the point. I like that. So. You got your little notepad and your pencil and you're, you're scribbling and jotting down stuff. It's beautiful. <laughs> I expected nothing well, less. Well, I want to remember some of, some of the things we hit on, I want to remember and, uh, you know, share some, share some stories on, uh, on that kind of stuff. I think you touched on the sequence of events that led you into construction which is awesome. But what keeps you in mm -hmm. it? What keeps you coming back every day, Frank? Well, I've got to support uh, my family. You know, my daughter's back lives in Texas with her mom and, um, you know, the South Florida lifestyle, you know, I want to have a boat eventually. So <laughs> I do want to, uh, <laughs> I do want to, um, to do well and, and save money and to do that, you know, we have to have a job. So, <laughs> but it's, um, it's more than a, than a job to me. It's it's I enjoy building, and um, you know I told somebody one time I just want to build buildings. You know, mm -hmm. and um, that was in in regards to a lot of the the paperwork and documentation that superintendents have to do. Um, you know, I said, why do I got to do all this? I, I just want to go out there and build the building. <laughs> but um, 
what uh what keeps me coming back is just the the opportunity to to kind of especially with building hospitals you know there um people need health care and you kind of feel when you drive past the building that you built um you know there's a there's a sense of pride there i, t- I take pride in my work and um and i want to do a good job and i think uh i think everybody who works in our industry they there's pride there you know people say that quality of work has gone down and all of that stuff over the years I, I disagree because I see these guys coming to work every day and and they want to do a good job but there's I, I just think that you know instead of just saying the quality of work has gone down over the years we need to ask ourselves why has that quality of work went down and how are we how are we managing because the guys don't want to they, they don't wake up. You, you don't wake up and go, I'm going to go do bad quality work today. Pe- people just don't no. do that, you know. So they come to work. They want to do a good job. So we've got to ask ourselves, well, why is the quality going down? You know, what, what's driving that? And uh, maybe you have some uh, input on, on what you've seen is why is that quality going down when we all want to come to work and do a good job? You know, have you seen any... Um, issues with that it was possible 20 years ago to build a hospital with 16 trade partners 16 different companies yeah. and to and the walls were square right, and plumb square and plumb right? and the the designers <laughs> had tremendous amount of experience like i was just you know in my early 20s and most of the people around me were you know older than we are now they were like in their 40s and 50s and some people in their 60s and they just had a tremendous amount of experience. And then over time, I've seen more specialization and I've seen less experienced people as people have left the industry and, and not as many new people have come in. So we've had more specialization. We've had less experience. The complexity has increased and the expectations from clients are still the same. I want my building yesterday. Right. All that compounded yeah. together creates conditions where people are forced into not ideal situations. I've never seen or met anyone of the thousands of people I've met in being in this industry that woke up and said, I want to do a bad job today or tried to mess something yeah. up on purpose. I've seen, you know, people in the trades, you know, work themselves really hard to put in quality work and to stand back and be proud of it. And I've even seen people in the trades with family members working alongside of them, you know, and them showing you know, their kids or their nieces, nephews, uh, other relatives, cousins, brothers, sisters, and they want to be proud of what they're doing. They're putting so much time into it, like you are, like we are, and they just want to do well and, you know, get a little bit of appreciation too, even if it's just by themselves for what they're doing. So you think about like, you just mentioned hospitals, like the last hospital job you did, how many contracts were there roughly? Uh, there was probably 20, 27, and then, you know, you have your specialty contractors. So I, we probably had 32, yeah. 32 different contractors. 32. On that job. Every time you, you know, have another company to come in with that specialization, you're just adding to the complexity. That's another yeah. set of people to coordinate to another thing to go back to the potentially the client with or the, the designer with. It is that specialization that we've seen. I don't think we encourage people to be a jack of all trades anymore. We encourage people to yeah. specialize. Well, we, we encourage them to specialize. And then in those, 
like even like say that the design team you know they have maybe they have one guy the architect has one guy that draws the details mm -hmm. right and he's not the same guy that that drew the overall design so there's a chance for miscommunication there there used to be drafting tables where everybody would sit down and, and draft and you would get you know some different work and now it's computerized and you have cut and paste details and with the and like as a gc we're you know we're constantly getting squeezed our our margins are low same thing with the architects you know they work they're trying to save hours you know we're trying to save on general conditions so all of that stuff kind of goes into the quality the quality of work um you know from the drawings the quality of work on the contracts you know if you're you're writing 32 contracts you know you your company wants to have a boilerplate contract well not every single job is the same you, you may need something extra so we then review those scopes for um you know completeness and it's not that things are missed it's that we try to make a boilerplate contract for every single person you know that's on that job each project is unique you know mm -hmm. and we need to treat it that way that's one of the things about using the same solution from job to job is the same percentage of general conditions may not apply to uh, this project over here because it's built on a coast or something like that you know there's just each project is unique and we need to to look at it that way and come up with a process that doesn't have us involving more of our time you know to, to figure that out but just come up with something that um where we're not trying to use the same solutions from project to project that, you know, to kind of think about each one individually. So we've known each other, I think probably for like, Ooh, I feel like it's been more than five years. The first time Yeah, it goes back to, um, the lean conferences and stuff yeah. where, where we uh, Way back. did the lean coffees together. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. We sat it, we just, you know, chance put us together at a table and I noticed right. then Frank, and I still see it right now. And you just said it just now. You are a lifetime learner, my friend. And I, I appreciate that. Um, on my jobs, you know, they um, they're they're unpredictable in construction. Right. Um, you have you have to, and you have to constantly manage that. And in order to create that, uh, you have to plan ahead, and you you have to use, uh, you know, you have to get everybody together and make sure that everybody understands the flow of the job and. Um, and just involve everybody and get their input, which is why uh, lean processes like the last planner, um, they, they really work. And um, they work, it's drastically different than when I was coming up, it was push. What do you mean by push, Frank? For, for people that are just still young and maybe they've been on a job or two and they just haven't spent that much time in the planning and scheduling aspect. What do you mean by push? Right. So I learned how to put a schedule together. It was basically you put your schedule together and if you're hitting, if you're always a few days, you know, behind that milestone or something, then you're doing a good job, right? Because I was basically taught to set the bar high and never be able to achieve it, that you always want to be hitting, you know, right under that bar. And then you have a good schedule and your job's going well. Mm -hmm. uh, but that causes us to push. And it causes us to start the activities essentially too early. Oh, uh, a lot of jobs. Checks in the mail, Frank. I, I just love that you said that <laughs> and admitted that you're the, one of the first people ever to say that out loud so well. 
we start things too early. Um, you know, the CPM schedules that we put together, uh, you can you have so much information uh, that that you can get from those CPM schedules, and I I've never seen anyone show the late starts of activities from those CPM schedules. <laughs> we always show the early starts, and those with the algorithms in the CPM, you get you can have early starts, you can have uh, your start date, uh, but it's all based on that that critical path management. And we put the schedule together, we see the critical path, and then that's what me as a superintendent, that's what I want to make sure flow of that critical path doesn't get interrupted. The truth is that that's just one critical path that it's showing at that time. So you you can have essentially a thousand different critical paths yes. on the same schedule. It's just going to show you the one that is the the longest uh, um, activities that are linked together. The the longest chain of activities is is going to be the one that it currently shows you. So you can be working on critical path work and you might get stalled. So a great workaround is oh well we can do this activity over here. You know, and it's not critical path. Well, all of a sudden, things things get jammed up, and uh, we call it your schedule gets stacked, and you're working on everything the same time, and most of the activities are critical, and then you're fighting fires all day. So some of the things that um, we try to teach and and, and I, I try to implement on a day to day basis is. Um, the the last planner system and getting in your um, your pull planning mm -hmm. um, to me when you start when you do those pull plans as a team um, you're basically starting from the end and working backwards and um, that's very hard to do in the built environment because we, we don't think that way uh, so so a lot of times there's a lot of coaching involved in those sessions and um, you you learn how to do it. Um, and then when you have your, your pull plan for the particular phase, you try to identify the constraints, those things that are going to keep you going. And the pull plan actually allows you to eliminate your float. Mm -hmm. And so when you're up there pull planning with your trades, um, a lot of people, a lot of superintendents have a problem because the trade partner might put up there, it's going to take him, um, 17 days to do a task and that superintendent no we've got to get it we, we've got to get it down you know i usually let them leave that 17 day activity in there because if it if they are some people call it, oh well he's sandbagging he, you know i know he can finish that in 10 days but he's putting 17 days up there well i let him put the 17 days up there because to me that that creates some float okay okay and um if he if he does finish it in 12 days or whatever well then on the back end, we've already discussed the downstream trade from him. So they're already preparing and getting ready. Because when, when the trades come on the job, it takes them, you know, three or four days to get their material and, and get all that stuff organized and, and really start work. So I, I, I don't let them, I, I don't want them to put the wrong durations on the pull plans sure. by any means. But I just don't think you should argue those durations because we are asking for their – they're the experts. We hire our trade partners, you know, because they are the experts at whatever scope we're hiring them for. Right on. So I want to trust their um, 
I, I want to trust what they're putting up there on the board. So, so I try not to argue it. And um, I coach other superintendents and things not to argue those durations. It's hard to do sometimes, but we've, we really try to make that a point. If I had to guess, Frank, I would guess that you're probably coaching and mentoring a couple, if not hundreds of superintendents. Because each job has different people. Um, and I started, I started doing this about three years ago. I, it was like an aha moment, right? So if I have the, the same process and use the last planner system from job to job, you know, I have it down, yes. right? Um, I've, I've used it for a long time. Um, so I know how to do it. And when you bring other people on, they may have some of our trade partners or something might have done it on a different job with a GC or something like that. So they may, they may know how to do it and implement that system. And maybe a couple of them have never done it before. So you're, the fact is though, that team has never done it together. So everybody's understanding is different. So I approach it now on, on the job as we're all gonna learn this together and we're all going to improve the way that we execute the last planner system together. So we start over at square one, you know, each time with not, you know, we don't set our expectations. Like we're going to gain 30% on the schedule mm -hmm. overall right off the bat, you know, because even though I've done it on several different projects or mechanical guys done it on several different projects, that doesn't mean we're going to be able to, to do it well together. Right. So we have to, and, and we don't talk about this, but, but we really should. We have to talk about how we're going to execute that and t together. Um, and so when you start off a job, it takes, you know, maybe five to six to ten weeks before you have that synergy where you're all executing the process together. If it even gets, um, if it even gets to that point where you're, actually implementing the whole system on some jobs i've only been able to implement the daily huddles or you know just do the pull plans and then um you know just bits and pieces mm -hmm. so you really have to evaluate the team and uh, and make that commitment if you're going to do the entire process of the last planner um, you have to make that commitment up front and um, and make sure that you're allowing the team the opportunity to become comfortable with the process before just slamming the the whole entire thing, you know, down the team's throats. Cause that's when people throw their hands up and say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to come to your daily huddles or we're not going to, we're not going to do our weekly work plans. You know, you, you have to really uh, evaluate the understanding of the team as a group and not as individuals for uh, it to get it, it to be able to work. So no, I like that Frank. And I just want to give you some feedback. You were on a panel for the Lean Construction Conference last year. And on that mm -hmm. panel... Shout out to the Lean Construction blog. Yeah, shout out that. to the Lean Construction blog. Free advertising. <laughs> no, they're a, good, yeah. uh, they're a good group of people over there helping to spread some, some alternative ideas in the industry. And right. two of my friends were... I mean, I had more than a handful of friends. Even the moderator. Brian's my friend. Elisa and Josh... And they all told me that it said, uh, 
in the preparation for the event because Brian likes to prepare like I do. Shout out to Brian. He's also a scrum master. I love that. I love that about him. And uh, my friend said that the things that they heard you talking about in the preparation, like they were able to take that back to their projects and, and do better. And they said, right. Frank is like legit. Frank is knows what he's doing. You got to talk to Frank. I was like, I know Frank. So, so the reason I, I reached out and contacted you, Frank, is under the encouragement of uh, fellow peers of yours, you know, working uh, in this case back in the Midwest, closer to your roots. We'll call it North Texas. <laughs> but they're north. Yeah, they're north yeah, of north, the border. North Texas. But we'll just say, you know, Lisa and Josh are working in North North Texas Extension, and um, I had to have you on. And I was I was yeah. an audience participant at that part, Frank, and I thought your approach and how you're answering some of the questions, I knew that, uh, you're a good mentor out there. And then I didn't realize that I look back, you had done quite a few contributions to the lean construction blog and, uh, with our new friends, the lean builders blog. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've put out there and had, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the stuff you shared with the industry? One of my earliest posts, um, from the lean construction blog actually had quite a few views. Um, I kind of spoke about, uh, the steps that we forget to implement mm -hmm. when, um, we, we do the last planner system on our projects. And, um, I wrote that one, I think in 2015, and that was one of the first few, um, articles on on their blog and um maybe it has the mo most views because it's one of the oldest <laughs> not necessarily it's one of the best but uh it it kind of so humble wrote frank it, i like um, that view as a as a story um and it was kind of a little bit vulnerable talking about you know how you know sometimes you get frustrated with trade partners and you're trying to push and this and that and then i had that aha moment where um, you know, a contractor actually called me out, um, on one of the things that I was doing. And that, that kind of made me realize, Hey, if I'm going to s expect our trade partners to, to be lean and reduce waste on their, in their activities and find ways to improve their day-to-day -day activities, then I have to do it, you know, myself and not, and not close all the ceilings up and, and threaten to close it up and then get the guys in there to do it when it's not ready. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause right. part of being lean is you, you perform the work when it's ready to perform the work. And, um, if I'm out there in the field and, and using, um, using the drywall trade to, um, motivate the other contractors classic superintendent done and just and just close <laughs> and close up the walls um then i'm i'm hurting my own project because that's going to be rework that um that somebody's going to want to get paid for so um you really have to uh if you're going to implement these these kind of uh lean processes you have to walk the walk um as a you can't just you can't just talk about it. Uh, your actions in the field have to support um, what you're trying to accomplish. So when Frank's talking about a superintendent for a general contractor using the drywall trade partner to 
accelerate things or close ceilings up with like acoustical ceiling tile or hard hard lid ceilings, drywall ceilings, and walls. Uh, the other trades that have to put stuff in those might not necessarily be ready for a myriad of reasons. So often, I saw this in my first, probably first 10 years of my career, Frank. I saw this tactic used uh, by multiple superintendents. Like, like y'all go to some secret meeting and you get told like the way to accelerate the they, job. They train us. <laughs> they, they, they train us that way. You know, that's how, that's superintendent 101. Yeah. <laughs> Use the drywall to push work. <laughs> and I remember on the first job, and I talked about this before, one of my early memories, I remember the framer superintendent just being worried because everybody hated him, like the entire job. And I remember sitting in the trailer after work and hearing him tell the general contractor superintendent that he wanted someone to walk him to his car because it was getting, wow. it was getting that bad. And this was in a big city where, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Nothing happened to yeah. him. He was ended up being fine, but it just didn't seem like that was the best way to motivate people in right. last planner system. Like you mentioned, you know, I've seen a lot of times, Frank, we do a phase pool, which most people that pool plan don't do. It's one of the steps that they steps that they skip. You can gain massive amounts of time. Like it's not uncommon to do a phase pool with the team of, of folks in design or construction and take months off the schedule. If you do right. it, if you do it right. Right. And that's assuming you've right. made the milestones visible and some other things. So, but you're totally right. Sometimes you can't implement it all, but you can do something. And I like that approach right. that you have. So that's cool. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to find your article from 2015. I'm going to link it in the show notes and we're going to drive that <laughs> even higher than it is now. <laughs> There we go. There we go. I like that. Free advertisement. Um, I do want to start touching on some of those differences between the push first pull mentality. Yeah, please do. And then uh, <clears throat> what, I, what I've realized is the behavior uh, that's needed to execute. Because when you said that, that that foreman was afraid to walk to his car, that should just tell you right there that something in our industry needs to change. Yes. You know, we, we don't want to go to go to work and be threatened. And then as we have um, younger people wanting to enter the construction industry, why would they want to come work in construction if we tell them, hey, you're going to work 12 hour days and you might get in a fight? <laughs> you know, we <laughs> nobody's going to want to nope. work in construction if we do that. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> So I used the term a while back. I was talking to somebody and said, and said, we need to start making construction more like an office job. Well, it, it's never going to be a, an office job, but with the new technologies that are coming out and some innovative thinking, you know, we can make the construction industry more, more attractive to younger talent and, um, it doesn't always have to be these 12-hour days. You know, we, we need to make a better reputation um, for construction workers. And I think it's going that route. Um, some companies have have realized that, and they talk about work-life balance and things like that. Mm -hmm. You always have to have that. But at the end of the day, in the field, we're still, um, especially in Florida, I would say, so I would say... Uh, the, the East Coast and especially down in South Florida, you know, we may 
be eight to ten years behind some of those uh, some of those West Coast ideas, or, or even seven years behind, you know, Dallas Fort Worth area in Texas. In order to to make things truly better, you have to start focusing on the behavior. One of the things that I didn't do early in my career. Uh, I learned all the technical aspects of lean. I've re read the books. I learned the processes, mm -hmm. and I got I studied them, and I got really good at it. And then when I start executing these processes on my job, it's not working, and people don't – they're just not all in on it. And I'm thinking, why? Well, they haven't, they haven't spent, you know – eight years studying this process that they, they, they don't know what it can do they haven't seen it work i wasn't necessarily changing my behavior to match what the process is called for mm -hmm. you know if you don't have if you don't have trust and you don't have teamwork these processes aren't ever going to work you know your team has to feel comfortable bringing up ideas your team has to feel comfortable enough to try something new and fail at it because uh, we get stuck trying out new things because it's going to fail or we take that to our managers and they go, no, you're not going to use this product because, you know, the the architects, it's not in the specs and the architect's not going to want to approve it. You know, that we know what's in the specs. We know that stuff works. And then there might be a new, those specs are 20 years old, by the way. They, uh, they're just... They're old and outdated. They never update their specifications. So, you know, if there's a new product or something that's come out that helps us cure the slab, one of my pet peeves is uh, we're still paying. We'll exclude uh, moisture mitigation in our um, in our bids. And then, you know, we find out, oh, the slab, we need to do moisture mitigation so that our flooring sticks. It's a lot of money. It's anywhere from... $5 to $8 a square foot to moisture mitigate your floors. Mm -hmm. There's products out there now that are drastically cheaper, $2 a square foot, but you have to apply them when you're pouring the concrete. So you have to be thinking about your floor finishes at that early stage. And um, we exclude it and we end up, you know, change ordering the owner for it. So, you know, owners could actually save a lot of money on moisture mitigation you know, with just some some lean thinking up front and saying, okay, how can we solve this problem of paying two hundred thousand dollars on every project to to moisture mitigate? Is there anything that can solve this problem and help us save money? Well, yes, there's several products out there that can do that, but you have to apply. You have to commit to spending the money up front to spending less money up front, knowing that you'll save it on the back end. We're not exactly there yet in the whole process of things that it can be more risky. So what our industry about passing risk down, and a lot of times we don't want to take that risk on the front end to uh, do something new and because of the fear of failure. So it's the same thing, you know, in the field, if your guys are comfortable and they trust you you know they might try this new technique but if um if they're afraid to fail or you you um get on to them for for failing you know they're not going to want to try anything new so that's one of the behavior issues you know i kind of had to change is to make people feel comfortable with speaking up don't just sit there in the meetings and agree and say yes uh to everything and then go out in the field and it'd be completely different. We need to speak up because us as a group 
can help solve the problem as opposed to just agreeing and then the problem still exists out there. The behavior and, and how to kind of make the team feel comfortable doing that. I remember sitting in a meeting in a, in a trailer not even four years ago and the plumber was having trouble with something to do with the in-wall installation and the painting foreman said, because we had created a space and environment where people could speak up. The painting foreman said, oh, in the, the last three jobs, I saw the plumber do this and changed. And it, it made the installation fly by super easy and fast. And then once the plumber foreman heard him describe what it was, he instantly knew it would work. Mm -hmm. And he thanked the guy. The superintendent said, I don't think we would have had this type of exchange if we weren't coming together in this different approach to let people speak up instead of me just having to be the solution giver. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things if you're constantly giving the solutions. You're only going to be as good as that one solution. When you have the input of, of everybody else, you know, you might have, you know, a mechanical guy could give an idea to the drywall guy, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. So we need that on our jobs and, and we have to do a, a better job fostering those kind of environments. It's drastically different from, from when I started. Um, just lots of things that push mentality. We've got to do a better job of, of showing and, and leading, leading the teams in the field, you know, to, to communicate and collaborate more often. So if we've talked about learning, we talked about approaching things with novelty, you know, they're all unique, they're unique snowflakes and we love them all, Frank. What got you so <laughs> turned on? Like, can you remember, was it a person or, or just that job environment when you got just the light bulb went off for you and you said continuous improvement is for me. Why is it important to you? Probably my personality type, you know, I'm, I'm driven to do better. Um, you know, as most people are, if we're going to do, if, if we're going to continuously improve, um, you know, what that means to me is that we're not afraid to, to try those new things. And we're not afraid to, you know, go out on a limb and say, hey, I think this will work better. You're either trying to save time, money, you know, put better work into place. Those are the reasons you, you want to improve, you know, to to ultimately, we're all in the business to make money, right? So those small improvements, you know, can ultimately lead to changes in the bottom line. And um, so so that's that's why we do it. Um, but you, you can't be afraid to, to try new things and to go out there on a limb and say, Hey, I've researched this product. We need to figure out how to use it. Oh, well, the architect won't approve that. Well, let's go, let's go take it to them and propose it. Because, um, if you're working in an environment where every time that you, that you go to, to try to do something better, it gets shot down because of, of risk or whatever, then that's going to demotivate you. Mm -hmm. So I try to stay motivated when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, th this might work better. Try to encourage them, uh, to do that. And that's what, if somebody's struggling with, um, implementing lean or feel like they're up against a wall or something, I would just say, keep pushing against that wall because, uh, don't let any of the, the negative things keep you from being motivated. Um, because at the end of the day, you're trying to do something better for your company or the client. And, um, you know, you, you need to make sure that you, you stay with it, uh, because there will be those times when you're up against the wall and, and people are, are not wanting to do the process or they're not wanting to take the time to, 
you know, evaluate, you know, a new product or, or a new way of, of doing things. Um, something as simple as um, cr creating a rack for all the pipes to keep them off the floor, right? right. That, that's a great idea, but I can't physically do that myself. You know, that's an idea I need to bring to the contractor who has all of his pipes on the floor, right? Right. So um, when I take that idea to them, you know, they give me pushback or whatever, you know, you, you can't let that demotivate you. You have to make them understand the why behind it. Right. Right. And then they have to have that aha moment, you know, for themselves. And um, once they do, you know, it, it's like a disease. You, it, 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 you catch it <laughs> and then you can't stop it, you know, and um, you start to see all of these things. Um, and then you become the improvement guy, right? Or the, yeah. the, the lean person. And you're always, oh, this can be better. This can be better. And then that, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. And everybody's tired of you coming around. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it, it builds. So it starts, you know, it starts small. And then it, it, it builds. You, you start to recognize these things. And then, like, for me, going from the point of recognizing mm -hmm. the waste and the improvement opportunities, there's another step is to actually making that happen. And that's where a lot of people start to feel like they can't do it or start to feel like uh, it's too much of a challenge. When that happens, because it, it happened to me a couple of weeks ago with something, you know, I felt like, oh, well, I, I can't implement this right now. Um, when you start to feel that way, just... Take a small piece of it. Don't don't try to do the whole thing. And um, it, it's kind of like take a small win. You know, pick something, whatever you see that you can improve or you're trying to get done. Just just take a small little piece of that and um, and have success in that as opposed to trying to go for the whole thing. You know, um, whatever it is, uh, the pipe racks and sure. things. You know, I, I want everything stored nice and neat, right? Well, getting everything stored nice and neat, but if we can just get, if we can just take one piece and, and say, let's just build one rack and get these pipes on that rack, then that's a start. And then we can attack the next thing. As you're starting, you know, to recognize things that be, can be improved and all of a sudden the challenge becomes too daunting, just take a step back and just do just a little piece of it. And uh, that way the team gets a win you know, and then you celebrate that win and then you take another small piece. And after, you know, after a few weeks, a few months, your job's completely different. So that's kind of how I approach it whenever I feel the task is too big or something like that, or the team is, um, is too busy fighting fires or something. We just take a small piece and uh, start there. Super good approach. I remember working with a yeah. team on another coast the gold coast uh and they 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 wanted to they're having a little bit of challenge with site logistics and some stuff and they said can you just come in and just show people what a neat job looks like like n-e-a-t neat clean a clean job and specifically they wanted to do a little 5s what i like to think about is just can do cleaning up arranging neatness discipline ongoing improvement it's uh translates exactly to the 5s so we went in, we, we bought the guy's pizza. I wanted to buy tacos, but I got overruled. So we bought pizza <laughs> and, uh, we just showed a couple pictures of what, you know, the different things look like. And then the, 
the people running our concrete said, you know, no one's ever asked us what we think. Can we show you something in the field? So we walked out in the field and I asked them, I was like, knowing what you know now, what would you do different? And they started making changes and that's it. That's all I asked. I didn't tell them what to do. Yeah. I didn't give them a solution. I said, here's a picture from a job that a lot of people recognize that is pretty popular in our, in our company and showed some examples of some things that they did. And the job is like, you know, a hundred times the size of what they're doing. They thought if that giant job can do this, maybe we can do it. Cause it started really right. small. The next thing I knew, Frank, um, they got two months ahead of schedule. They sped up just by cleaning up and getting things neat. And then mm -hmm. one of them was actually friends with the mayor of the town and the job was such a shining example. They actually had the mayor come through the job site and tour the job. Yeah. And just everybody in the whole project site was super proud. And we showed pictures to people in the company afterwards. And and people were saying, like, I've never seen a job that clean. It looks like it's done. And they were still right. in superstructure. So far from done, but making big progress. It's those little things that have such a big impact that decision for that decision just to go, go out there and just show them mm -hmm. a, a different way. It wasn't, you know, you didn't demand anything from the guys. You just simply, the decision was made just to go out there, just to bring you on and, and show them a different way. And then those guys were, they, they were empowered to, to make it better. Cause they, it was like probably a light bulb went off in their head. Like, Oh, yeah, we can do that on our job too, mm -hmm. right? Right. And it, it started small, and then um, it's just kind of showing them the examples, you know, that makes it work. You know, um, on a joint venture project in um, in Winter Haven, Florida, you know, we, we did some things similar to that. And, um, you know, we made some decisions as a team that was questionable. We uh, kind of shut down the iron workers. Um you know, for three days, uh, because there were some things going on that, that was dangerous that, you know, the job wasn't necessarily clean. Um, and that was critical path work. And we made the decision to, and I knew the guys could, they can do this stuff because they just came off of a, a large project. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew the crew could do it. Uh, but we had to make the decision to shut them down for a couple days, not retrain them, but, but just remind them of the fact that um hey let's do these things and then uh, do what we're what we know you guys can do and they came back to work and the the speed was increased the quality was increased we didn't fail any weld inspections uh but but we did have to stop we said hey guys something's something's wrong here let's stop let's address each situation and uh, and we did. We stopped for a couple days. We talked about everything with the guys that are actually doing the work, not not their boss's boss, not not any of that stuff. Sure. With the crew actually doing the work. And when we started work back up, we called weld inspections. The weld inspector said, "Oh, this is great. You know, you guys are doing much better. You know, the uh, the job was clean. We didn't have any uh, near miss safety incidents." And they they finished two weeks sooner oh. than, than uh, they thought. And um, but we had to stop. We had to stop for two days. There were some there was some of my bosses didn't understand it at that time. This was a joint venture. 
Yes. So there was other interest. There was other stakeholders involved too, other than than my company. But we did. We stopped for two days, and um, at the end of their scope, we were two weeks ahead. We didn't have failed and weld inspections. We didn't have safety incidents. It was a good decision that uh, that helped in the end. But those are the kind of decisions that you have to make um, in order for some of this, for the lean thinking to work. That's that's what it's about. It's about stopping, evaluating the problem, asking what's causing the issue, and then addressing the, those root causes that are the the problems. And when you address the root causes, the same issue doesn't keep happening. You address it. You address it there. So sometimes you have to pause and ask those questions. Glad to hear. That's a great story of respect. Yeah. You kept it with the people you know most involved, closest to the work. Right. You invested, yeah. even though you had to stop. You invested two days and you got back ten. If you got the inspector saying how much better stuff is, then you know you're, you're yep. doing the right thing. And now you know you probably earn the respect of that crew and that's going to carry forward. They're going to take those lessons to the next job. And then, you know, yeah. they might be able to do the same. Somebody might be able to, in the same situation in the future and be able to prevent, you know, a catastrophic incident from happening, loss of life or someone getting injured or, right. or, you know, a, a building coming in late later. Cause the stuff that we build, Frank, people need it. And we just don't, we oh, don't yeah. build even amusement parks. People need amusement. Right. So everything we do, you know, it's somebody needs it. There's a benefit out there for, yeah. for what we're making, which is cool. What would you tell somebody that's young, like, uh, and let's keep it to the field side because I just love field stories. And I'll tell you about a superintendent cornered, cornered me in the field uh, recently. But I want to hear a story from you about what advice or guidance would you give to somebody who's young, up and coming, maybe just a little bit ambitious, healthy amount of ambition, wants to do better wants to move up, what advice would you give them, Frank? Go ask questions of the people doing the work. So don't be afraid to go out there in the field and, and watch um, because that's where I learned the most. Um, you know, you, you need to go up go up to those plumbers and, and go up to the, the guys hanging the ductwork and uh, don't be afraid to, to ask them questions about what they're doing. You know, I, I learned everything the hard way, but, but you don't have to do that. You, you can, it's optional. You, you, Is that what you're you saying, Frank? It's optional? To the guys. Yes, it's optional. Okay. You don't have to learn that way. And um, you can go, you can ask questions. You can, you can seek out those mentors. If you're interested in lean and, and becoming involved in some of those processes like the last planner system or, or target value design on the office side something like that that's uh drastically different you know you're going to need a, a lot of mentors to uh, to to mentor you through that and to, and to give you advice so i would just uh, just tell them to stick with it and act like a sponge soak up all the information you can from all different sides uh, because if you're if you're asking questions and then you're doing your research, you're, you're doing your homework, um, you know, you'll be successful. So, so stick with it and uh, ask lots of questions. Perfect advice. Yeah. I got cornered by a, a superintendent earlier in my career. He said, I need you just to shut up for a little bit. I got some knowledge. I'm, he was about to retire. He's like, I got some knowledge to, to drop and, and I, I would like some people to pick it up. And he didn't have, you know, next generation coming in. His kids wanted to do something else. 
and uh, he gave me some really good nuggets about flow. And he, and he talked about workflow and just gave me some stuff. And that was like way, it was, I was, the knowledge came to me before I was ready to do anything with it. And, and like you said, don't give up, keep asking more questions. And I learned more and it's been really, really good. You sound so calm, Frank. I just love that. Is it almost lunchtime for you? What time is it? Around here, we'll, we'll take a break at, at nine o'clock and a break at two o'clock. And we do the, uh, cafecitos, the, the little, the little coffees. Oh, nice. So yeah, they do the, uh, Cuban coffee mm -hmm. and they, we mix it up and, uh, there's a couple guys that, that make it every day at nine and, and just little shots of coffee, like espresso and, um, keeps us going for the day. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's perfect. Cause yeah. that's t leads me to my next thing, Frank keeps people going. So I'm sure you can think of people that you've mentored recently. What kind of advice can you share for someone who's listening, who's working in our industry, design, designers too, design and construction. We don't discriminate. Frank and I love everybody. What would you tell them if they feel like they're stuck? You know, you have to take action to, to get you unstuck, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you get, you get stuck in the mud, you're, you're going to need you're going to need something to motivate you. So what, one of the things, um, I'm on a group of, of people that I've met, you know, at lean conferences and things like that, or, um, our LCI core group, mm -hmm. uh, something that gets me unstuck is, uh, just reaching out to those people and, uh, those, those monthly calls that we're on where we share, you, you know, what, um, what we're struggling with or something like that. Um, I don't want to call it a support group, but, uh, it's just a group of people that, you know, that get together every month. But after those conversations, I kind of get recharged. Uh, so if, um, if, if my schedule's still, you know, we're, we're never behind schedule, but if my schedule's still struggling and I'm implementing the last planner and that's supposed to make, make us have, make us gain on it and it's not gaining um i'm down in the dumps you know I, I i call those people or um you know those conversations i can have kind of recharge my batteries and say okay it's not working let's try something different um whatever that may be that that helps at the job but uh just those conversations with um with like-minded people in regards to um lean and implementing uh new things on jobs kind of keeps me energized uh conversations like this um uh, you know with you felipe and uh, when i hear when i know that there's a podcast of construction people talking mm -hmm. you know i'm going to listen to that and that's going to recharge that's going to recharge you know my energy to go to go be better you know on the site when i get in those uh during those down times so. That's awesome, Frank. And it's, it's people like you and having that kind of reaction, which fuels me to do this show. I love that. Yeah. I love that feedback. Right. No, thank you so much. Yeah. All my, all the listeners and all the new fans of Frank, and I'm a Frank fan for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, we super appreciate, you know, you taking the time to listen to us and as you're going through your work day and getting a little bit of inspiration, you're giving us inspiration too, because you're out there making it happen. I really like that, Frank, that, that you said that, uh, yeah. one of the things I've, I've told some of the people I mentor is, you know, make some friends outside of your group. Like you've got, you had friends in school, you had friends growing up. You might even consider some of your family members, friends, heaven forbid, 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, uh, maybe. right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> I, I just encourage them. It's like, you know, talk to somebody you trust and bounce things off of them. Even, especially when you're frustrated and things are, are hard. And it's good sometimes too, to tell people like, Hey, I don't want your advice, but I just need you to listen. Or sometimes yeah. you want some advice and I wanted to ask you something I think is going to be funny. And I don't even know why this just occurred to me, Frank, but have you ever gotten some good advice from a project manager ever? All the time. All Look the at that. Time. He was ready. He was like, I got you. Felipe. All, all the time. I could, I could, but <laughs> as a superintendent, yeah. as a superintendent, sometimes we don't listen. We don't listen to, to those PMs. So they, they have great advice, but we have to remember to, to listen to it. <laughs> sometimes when they start talking, we just kind of shut off our, our ears. No, no, I've worked with some really good, good PMs. Uh, some of them have been uh, key mentors for me, you know, um, in the early days. You know, people from back like Jeff Ratcliffe was a strong mentor. He was the type of project manager that would walk the job and ask, why do I have a have a pallet of of floor leveling product right there, right? Mm -hmm. Well, why is a PM asking me about that? You know, because you know it costs a lot of money. So, <laughs> um, but uh, no, he would walk the job and he would uh, he would pick up on things that that you know would make me think as well. So, always always search out the the people that are going to make you think and and make you think from a different perspective listen to those pms if you're a superintendent you you got to make sure you're uh listening to them because that they'll have a different perspective than what you have so that, that should be it should always be a team effort superintendent pm even though they, they might be like this on the ladder and my decisions in the field can affect the the pm's responsibility vice versa the pm's decision can affect you know the schedule and stuff so you, you've got to be a team and uh and treat each other as such so well frank you just made so many project managers happy right now and and so, i want to yeah. remember project managers frank didn't say that you have to do what the pm says he said you should listen and try to understand <laughs> and i said sometimes we turn off the our listening skills when the pms are talking so yeah. we love you pms <laughs> but you, yeah <laughs> but in fact that's something that i've that i've I've, I've kind of learned to, um, I, I seek out their advice because early in my career, you know, I didn't. And, um, I think that that blog post that you're going to highlight actually says something about project managers or something <laughs> like that, that, um, you know, That's some um, knowledge from 2015 still good today. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was like yesterday for right. us, Frank. That was like just yesterday. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. It's not even that long ago. It seems like a long time ago. It does. My daughter was young and and nice, and she still thought, you know, her her dad was great. And now she's a teenager, and so she she's completely different than when she was, you know, when she was seven and eight. <laughs> so she's now sixteen years old. So, and I just can't picture her merging into traffic and uh, you know getting on a highway. And, uh, that's, that's happening. My son's 11 and I was telling him, uh, earlier this month, I said, you know, one day you're going to have your own kids and you're going to, they're going to say <laughs> stuff to you. Like you're saying to me right now, and I'm going to be there and I'm going to break out laughing so hard. And you're going to know why I'm laughing as hard as I'm <laughs> laughing in that moment because of what you're saying to me right now. 
yeah, yeah. What goes around comes Absolutely. around. Absolutely. I was like, be good to me because one day you'll have little kids of your own. What's something you want to tell you know the people listening to the show? Well, I'm glad that there are listeners to this show. And um, if, if you do listen to this show and, and you're in construction, make sure... Uh, Make sure you let other people know, because I think some of the guests in the past, um, you, you know, there's stories on every construction site, and there's uh, stories of people, there's stories of great things, there's stories of innovation. We need to share those stories. So um, if you're in our industry and um, you're working in construction every day, you get up, put on your work boots, and uh, and go build things. Uh, make sure you tell people about that. There's a lot of good takeaways, a lot of good leadership lessons uh, that you can learn on the construction sites as well. Don't stop improving and uh, always look for a better way. Make sure you're uh, trying to build a, a, a team as well as build whatever project, whatever building you're building. You build that and uh, remember that you're building a team as well. That's what I'll leave you with, Felipe. Frank Kahn. Yeah. Dropping the nuggets yeah. all the way through. I love it. All the way from the other side of the country in beautiful Florida. That's it. We got palm trees and great times over here. So come visit anytime, Felipe. I will. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.